And then as the bride walks, as she walks past each of your rows, then sort of stand so that everyone gets to see the bride. Otherwise, you know, people stand and then the people at the front don't get to see it. And it's, it's, it's what everyone wants to see, the bride walking down towards the bridegroom. It's a very, very special moment. And there's, there's often suspense uh, and there's sort of that awkward silence before the music starts playing, but it's a special suspense. It's a very, very special time. And the bride has spent hours, sometimes days, in her preparation, making sure her hair is right and her skin is right and uh, the, her bridesmaids or maybe her family, her mom, have helped her on the day getting ready and making sure the dress is perfect. And it's just an incredibly special moment, which I think we would all agree. But not all weddings are like that. There are some that are different. And uh, before I turn on to these, many years ago, Sarah and I were invited to a friend's wedding. And it was probably the most awkward wedding we've ever been to. And so I don't think he's going to listen to this, but if he does, he'll still, he'll still be friends with me because he's a friend. Uh, and what happened was we, we were at the wedding and everything was fine. Like it looked beautiful. But there was one thing that I think the people who arranged the wedding didn't think about that clearly. And they sort of had these beautiful um, a sheep, shepherd stuff. That's what it's called. Uh, on either side of the aisle. But it was in a narrow Dutch Reformed church. And so already a very narrow aisle. They now had these sort of bokeh type things with flowers hanging on them. Which now made the aisle, you know, doubly thin. And they obviously practiced without these flowers. So now it's now the walkthrough with her dad. So the problem is, as the music starts, as they get to sort of coming into it, now they can't fit side by side. But obviously the music's playing and you know, you're not wanting it to get awkward. So she now sort of does this little awkward shuffle and her dad's now standing just behind her, sort of just trying to squeeze in. But the problem is, is with her dress, every step she takes and he takes, he stands on her dress and like does like a little bit of a choke maneuver on her. So she like walks and then he like stands by mistake and it's like, ah. And then she turns around and then he's like, oh, sorry. And then next, ah. And then like, sorry. And now like, they're trying to get the dress out the way with every step down this aisle that basically happened. Until at the end, she, he was quite a long way back to make sure he didn't stand. She just like walks up to the front and, uh, and, and eventually gets there. I don't even think that he gave away the bride because it was just like, sorry, I'm leaving in the dust. And it wasn't either of their fault. It was something they had an oversight on, but the awkwardness of the room, it was just horrific. And everyone was like, just please get to the end, get to the end of the aisle. And we were like, Frank, like, go and stand on the dress again. And it was incredibly, incredibly awkward. They are happily married with two kids now, have you know? Uh, so that was our most awkward moment. But imagine if the bride, now these are some stage set ones, except I think the last one. Imagine if for some reason, falling or whichever way, the bride rocked up with her dress like this. Here's another one that was set up. They are stage set up because obviously she's not looking that upset. Um, or, or these ones walking in. So imagine if something that happened. And I did search on YouTube and Google for like the most awkward wedding arrivals, the most messed up dress. And honestly, the reason why I didn't show the videos is because they are quite heartbreaking. So there are those ones where the lady has fallen right before, or the rain is pouring and it's an outside one. And if you do look up for it, it, it is quite devastating because it's not how it's supposed to be. So these ones we can do in a bit of humor, but the real ones I did actually leave because I, I was feeling awkward for them watching. So there's another one, uh, a little bit messy, and that one does look genuinely depressed, but I also still think it's a photo shoot. And so if you happen to be dressed like that as you arrive, 
obviously the music could be great, and maybe it's like the bride is in tears, or maybe she's a little bit humorous, you know, like do sort of a bit of a laugh to ease the tension. But everyone would look on and just go, that isn't how it should be. It's not right. Yes, maybe she's making humor out of it, or she's in tears, and yes, the wedding's going to go on, and it's still going to be special, but how she's looking and how the process is starting just isn't right. It's just not how it's supposed to be. She's not looking as glorious as she could be. She should be shining in all his, in all his brilliance. And it's on this vivid backdrop that we look at what it means to be the pure bride of Christ and why that's so important. So keep this picture in your minds as we go through it. And I want us to read Revelation 19. Keep this picture of the purity of the bride, why that's important. So Revelation vision given to John and then he wrote down what was spoken to him and what he saw and uh, he's the writer of Revelation and this is a picture of Christ returning and the world ending. So it's a picture of the end of the world. We're going to read together Revelation 19. So this is what it says. Uh, after this, and he's spoken before about the fall of the, the, the destructed world and now there's rejoicing in heaven as God has come and shown himself glorious. This is what it says. After this, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And the first thing for us to remember here at the start is that the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming and no one's going to stop it. It is going to happen. So for all of us here in this room, we want to be ready for that day. And it's my prayer that each of us and friends and family, we would live our days to tell people about this marriage supper and about the need for you to be invited to that and to accept that invitation and be there. Because it is happening and nothing is going to stop the Lord's return and this marriage supper. No one can stop it and at God's exact appointed time, it's going to happen. And what a day it's going to be. Imagine this, the voice of a great multitude, billions and billions of people, like the roar of many waters and the sound of mighty peals of thunder. I've been in a sports stadium, uh, a rugby ground where there's sort of 10 or 20,000 people and when someone scores a try or something, you hear this shout and you hear this cheer and it's incredible, it's so exciting, it's exhilarating. Now that's nothing compared to the roar and shout of millions of people rejoicing at the God who reigns. So, so what a day that is going to be, and I said, I want us to be a part of it. I want us to live to see other people part of that day in joy and exaltation. So the multitude magnify God, they lift him up, they, they praise him for who he is, and they say, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. And so for now, he still reigns. God reigns supreme, he's ultimately sovereign, but at the moment in this world, uh, in many ways being given over to the decay of sin and the decay of Satan and, and what he's doing in the world, but it's not without God being in control. Satan's like a dog on a leash, he's only allowed to do what the Father lets him do. 
Uh, he has no power in his own greater than that. And so we're going to see the great and glorious work that God's doing in this messed up world. But when that day happens, everyone will know without a shadow of a doubt that he reigns. Those who know him, those who accept his invitation, everyone will know that he reigns supreme and he will forevermore and Satan will be crushed under his feet. And so that, what a day that's going to be. And everyone is cheering and everyone is rejoicing for the marriage of the Lamb is here. It's come. But who is the Lamb? Who is the bride? What's the clarity on this? The marriage of the Lamb has come. It's a little bit of a strange terminology. So we're going to look at it to help us out. Uh, let me step across. Who's the bride first? Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. This is a, one of the key passages actually from weddings that people speak on about marriage. But then Paul brings an incredible insight where he then says that actually your marriage is actually a picture of something greater. It's just a picture of something far greater than your earthly marriage. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for Interesting enough, men, do you know in that passage, and it's kind of a scary one, like wives submit to your husband, and all those sorts of things. Do you know that there's like nine instructions to men versus three to ladies? Read it. The, the call and, the, uh, and, and what... what the example men need to set of how men need to live out their call as husbands is a far greater challenge in this passage. Uh, it's a mess. So love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so when we talk about uh, the bride, who the bride is, the bride is the church. And we're talking about the collective, as we shared in the series, the collective body of believers across the globe, the global church. And then we're talking about individuals as well. We make up the church of Jesus Christ as well. So we've, we've nailed that in over and over. But what about the Lamb? What about the Lamb? Who is the Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus. This is backed up in a number of different places. John 1, verse 39. John the Baptist is now out in the wilderness, and he's, he's a prophet, he's, he's preparing the way for Jesus Christ, he's preparing the way for the Messiah, and when he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, so Jesus being pictured there, the reason for a lamb is obviously lambs were sacrificed, they were used to pay the price of people's sin, but he's saying this is the Lamb of God, meaning the ultimate sacrifice, the sacrifice for not just an individual for a short period of time, but forever, for people who would accept what he's done. And there's another one, Isaiah 53, verse 7, one of the famous prophetic passages on the cross and what Jesus would go through. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that's before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so it's very clear that when it's talking about the marriage supper of the lamb, the bride is the church, us followers of Christ, and the lamb is Jesus, the one who paid a great price for his bride, for you and for I. And so how does the bride get ready? How does the bride get ready? Because if we look over here at Revelation, it says, and his bride made herself ready. The marriage supper was there. The bride made herself ready. Now we need to understand there are two parts of the bride being ready in normal natural terms and also in spiritual terms. And for this we need to look at arranged marriages, which was pretty much the custom in that day and age. So whereas now 
there's often parental involvement and there should be and that's really important. For most of us, it's not a case of mother and father choosing for us and saying, this is the lady that you are going to marry for the son. Marry her and make it work. In many respects, actually, they look at it and they say that a lot of arranged marriages actually work an awful lot better than other ones because your parents often know who you should marry more than you, but also when you don't have a choice in the culture, you make it work because there hasn't been a choice. Very interesting if you look at the stats on arranged marriages. But that's the custom, that's the culture in Jesus' day where the father would look around and would explore and would chat to family and friends and relatives and find the lady who he thought would be suitable for his son and would then at either a cost or at an invitation say, I would like you to be my son's bride. So he made those sorts of calls. Very much the case where our heavenly father, in many respects, as the, the father with the son was, was looking on and going, I, I, I want there to be a marriage between this people that I created and I want to love me and to know me and I know the best fit for these people is my son and a relationship with them. And, and it's just an incredible picture of God living out the custom. Very, very special. So we see this picture where Father God chooses the church for His Son. The interesting thing is, is when it comes to Christ and the church, He's chosen the church as His bride, and nothing's going to change that. He's decided. doesn't matter what the cost was or anything else like that. Father God has made that call. He's made that decision. In His sovereignty, the church will endure. The marriage has happened. And the marriage supper will come to pass. For many of us, it's different. It's far more the man asking the woman for a hand in marriage, and then she can accept or reject. It's a little bit different in our day and age, but in that custom, that's how it used to work. When it came to the church at large, the collective global church, and Jesus in the relationship, there's no rejecting. He's chosen us, and he's the best possible husband we could ever have. And it's about us accepting that. The church will enjoy, the church will last. But will we choose and accept to be part of that church, to be his bride individually, and how will we live that out? And so there's the first part of making yourself ready, that's actually being in the place to accept, and being in that place to be chosen by Jesus Christ. The next one is the element of us accepting or rejecting the proposal of King Jesus, but it is very much his proposal. So for you sitting here today, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, maybe you don't, maybe you have friends and family, it is one of those old custom proposals where he's doing the choosing, he's stepping out, and then we have the opportunity to accept or reject. So look at this, Psalm 40 verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. You get this picture of Jesus reaching out to us, and we're the ones stuck. We're in the mighty pit. There actually isn't much of an opportunity for us to, to enter into that without Him first reaching out to us. So that's what He does. Isaiah 61 verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. Notice it's Him. He's the first mover. He's the actor in this marriage relationship who acts first. He does it first. We have an opportunity to receive, but God is the one who acts first. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. That amazing picture of him reaching out. And then Ephesians 2 verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, dead people can't make any decisions on their own. It's impossible. Last time you tried, nothing's going to happen. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, 
Jesus made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. So in this marriage relationship, he's the first mover. And without him acting on us first, without him moving on us first, we have no opportunity to accept that invitation. So for you today, have you, res have you responded to the call? Have you responded to his invitation to this marriage, to this marriage supper? Have you responded? And that's the amazing thing is he acts first and then it's for us to receive, to believe. But once this proposal has been accepted, there's more preparation. Once this proposal has been accepted, there's more. The perfect wedding dress, there's body pampering, getting your skin as best as you can, maybe hitting the gym, if you care about things like that. Uh, your hair to perfection, your makeup done excellently, and the list could go on. So why is the purity of the bride so very important? Because look what it says. His bride made herself ready, and then it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And verse 8 is absolutely key. Father, it granted her to clothe herself, and the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This is absolutely key. The bride clothes herself with fine linen, bright and pure. But what's the linen? What makes her so beautiful? What makes her stand out to the crowd where everyone gasps and looks on? It's the righteous deeds of the saints. You must see that for us to be the bride that Jesus has died for, the bride that he's chosen, we must look like him. We must. So our changing and him reaching and pulling us out of the miry clay, that's an internal change. That's him transporting us from the inside out, making us new creations, as Corinthians says. And then it takes time for us to start to look like him. That's the process. He changes us in an instant. And then maybe we do look a bit shabby or we don't look as we should. But as we walk with him, as we allow him to transform us from the inside out, which will inevitably happen if we're a new creation, we start to look like the bride that we're called to be. Because when you marry, two become one. And in the spiritual marriage, we must look more and more like Jesus. And that is, as I said earlier, inevitable if we're in a true relationship with him. Because an apple tree can't produce oranges. It produces apples. And that's the true case. When we become a new creation, we produce what has changed inside us. And so it's a great gauge for us. And it's a great gauge when we have conversations with friends and family to say, and I've been asked this question a lot of times, but how do I know if I'm Christ's follower? How do I know if my, my heart is new? And you say, well, over time and, and over periods and seasons, are you growing more in love with him? Is your life looking more like him? Is your fruit looking like the way that he lives? That's a great indicator that he's changed you from the inside out. But these deeds of righteousness, it's our responsibility. Righteous deeds are the outworking of our faith that are visible for all to see. So he changes us, we're saved, we're invited and we accept the marriage supper by none of our own merits, all because of what he did for us on the cross, the ultimate sacrifice. But us looking like him, us looking like the bride he's called us to, that's on us. They're the outworking of our faith. Being saved by Christ is internal, it's a heart change. Walking with Christ requires action on our part, and that action demonstrates the fact that we are saved. That's what it demonstrates. But why is it so important? Why is it so important that we look like Christ? Well, back to the bride coming down the aisle in her dirty, dirty wedding dress. So imagine this is for real. Imagine we're in a wedding and the bride is there and she's had a big fall. 
or she could care less, I'm not sure the reason, but she's covered in mud and maybe it smells a bit. And she's, she's here at the back and the music starts. Now she starts to walk down that aisle. There's probably not going to be many people looking on firstly going, well that's, that's just splendor, I want to buy to that. If you take it a step further, if you imagine the bride is the church of Jesus Christ, Christ followers, Imagine instead of just the bride, imagine maybe a collective of believers. So imagine sort of a queue of people walking towards the bridegroom Jesus. But imagine all of them shabbily dressed, a bit smelly. And they take it a step further. They don't even really care that much about seeing the bridegroom. It's like, oh, well, oh, that's a nice decoration there. Oh, there's a bird singing there. And they're sort of walking down. Now imagine, imagine the onlookers looking in, looking at this wedding celebration, looking at this group of people, this bride, this collective bride, walking towards the bridegroom, Jesus. Now, if they're shabbily dressed, not even that interested, how excited are onlookers going to be to join that procession? How excited are they going to be to join that wedding? Not at all. They're not going to be excited at all. And here it comes, the essential part of our righteous deeds, and us as a church and as individual believers looking like Christ. Because there are people looking in. They're looking in on this marriage. They're looking on us, us who are the bride. And they're going, do I want to be part of that marriage? Does that bride look in the splendor and the beauty that she should? And in Matthew 22, the parable, Jesus obviously invites the chosen ones, many of the Jews, and they reject her. And then he tells his, um, his helpers, the king, and he just says, go invite everyone you can. Invite those on the street. Invite anyone at all to the marriage supper. So everyone's invited, but not all join. Not all join. And there's a number of reasons, but I think one of the keys is the purity with which we look. Imagine those looking in the edge, looking in and going, mm, do I really want to join that procession? Are those the kinds of people that I want to be with? And if those people are getting married to Jesus and they've got a relationship with him, is Jesus the kind of person that I want to know based on the type of people that they are? This is absolutely huge. Is their linen and what they're wearing, their righteous deeds, is it looking as it should? Or does it look shabby, dirty, messed up? And are the people even interested and eager for the bridegroom? Or are they looking around and more interested in other things going on around them, the birds and the trees, what the weather's like, than the bridegroom that they're supposedly walking towards? And this is the challenge of holiness in our lives. This is the importance of the purity of the bride. Because we are God's plan. He has mandated, given the church the mandate to, to make disciples of all nations. But we need to look attractive. We need to look like the bride that God has called us to be, that he's wanting to change us into. Because otherwise, a dying and a broken world will look at it and go, but actually, I don't think I want a part of that. Do you and I realize that our words and our actions can and do have eternal consequences for people? They do. I spoke to some lovely people this week. I bumped into them uh, in a business place where I was, and uh, we got chatting and chatting about me being a pastor. And they said, "Hey, well, we've um, we've we just visited a church uh, last week. We haven't been in church. Um, the others in the family aren't Christians, um, but we, we sort of tried it out. We went to a church last week, so this last week, and we sat down. We were visitors, and we were just interested in the service." And uh, someone came up to us and said, please, can you get out of my seat? That's where I sit. <laughs> and it absolutely broke my heart. I was devastated. And I just said to them, well, please come. And if someone tells you that in this church, <laughs> we'll put a boxing ring outside. It's all the 
Um, but God calls us to be pure. Because the chances of those people setting foot in another church building again and wanting to know what, a, what Christ follows about again is very, very slim. Very slim. And so it is essential that we look like the bride that we're supposed to look. So my heart was broken. It still is. Um, and I just say, Lord Jesus, please, please bring them into your kingdom. Please help them to get plugged in. And God's sovereignty is bigger. But do you and I realize that the way that we treat strangers affects eternal destinies? The people we come into contact with at the shops, people we maybe don't necessarily connect with initially, everywhere we are, whatever we're doing, whoever we come into contact with, what we say, what we do, has incredible consequence. It has huge consequence. Friends, let's make sure that we're asking God to help us live as the pure bride He's called us to be. Let's make sure that we're adored and pure than that our actions and words are pointing others to Christ. That our speech and what we say is attractive and it's full of life and it's full of truth. And people, when they hear us, they're like, there's something different. I've got to know, where does that come from? Why do they have that hope? Why do they have that joy? Oh, it's because they're actually believing something greater. If you aren't sure, if your actions and your words pointing people to Christ. And I say this often, ask someone you trust. Be humble, ask someone. Does my speech and what I do, does it actually look like Jesus? Because frankly, that's more important than anything else. Ask someone, ask someone regularly, ask someone you trust and just say, hey, please will you give a bit of a plumb line for my life? What, am I looking like Christ? Because I want to be part of seeing people come to know Him. Is it clear that Jesus' passion is my passion? Is it clear that the Great Commission and seeing people disciple is my focus? Is it clear that I overflow with Christ's love and kindness? Friends, this is huge. It's absolutely huge. And uh, in the last five minutes, I've got a song entitled Pure Bride. The words are going to come up as we listen to it. But what I want you to do in it is to just reflect. Maybe for some of you who are here and you're exploring faith, maybe it's to think on what, what Jesus means when he paid a price for you and he wants you to be in his church. So maybe it's for you. For others, maybe it's a time of actually repenting and going, Lord Jesus, please show me now where my life does not look like you. Where my righteous deeds are not operating and showing the pure linen as it should be. Maybe it's a time of just receiving a fresh of what it means to be invited to the marriage supper. What it means to be the bride of Jesus. And then to ask him to help us as harvest and beyond to be the bride that he's called us to be. That when people walk in, they're just like, that linen is pure and it's white. And I've got to know why it's like that. And I've got to know why those people are different. I have to know. Why are they so loving? Why are they so kind? Why do the things of this world not bother them? Why? I've got to know. That's when we'll see the northern suburbs and we'll see the city change. So I'm going to play this, uh, look at the words, or just spend time with your eyes closed and listen. It's about four minutes long, and then I'll pray for us at the end.